Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sacred Space Podcast. My name is Gina Stockton and my guest today is Todd Redarmel. Todd was the lead pastor of Mountain View Church for 20 years. I've been serving there since he retired. He now works as the pastor relations advisor for Soul Shepherding. He's a coach and a spiritual director for pastors and leaders. And I just wanted to sit down with him and have him share his story the things uh, he experienced as a pastor, the difficulties, the joy, the moments of burnout and um, pain, (laughs) his deconstruction and reconstruction while leading a church, and why he wants to now pour into other pastors and leaders. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I encourage you to get comfortable, grab a journal, or hit the road and uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the sacred space. Well, hi, Todd. Gina. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We've only been talking for about 45 minutes, but welcome. That's all right. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm so uh, happy to have you. You're sitting in your, it looks like a cabin. You're living in the woods. I, You're living the dream, driving tractors. I do. I get to drive tractors and use log splitters and all kinds of fun tools that I never knew how to use and chainsaws. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Todd, you were uh, the pastor at Mountain View Church for 20 years. You just retired almost a year ago. Um, I've had the honor and privilege of uh, serving there during the transition and um, just being able to experience the fruit of your labor and the amazing community that you guys poured into for so many years. And um, so I said it before, I'll say it again. Thank you for how you poured into that community and the things that you built and the foundation that you laid, because um, I get to experience it and be the recipient of a lot of, um, a lot of that fruit. So um, thank you. We're talking about some of the things that God's doing in and through you and some opportunities you have now, and you're stepping into, well, you have your hands in a lot of different places, but um, you coach leaders and mentor people, but you're officially stepping into that role with soul shepherding as a coach and kind of a leadership mentor and um, as an advisor for soul shepherding with relations mm-hmm. to pastors and organizations and stuff. So I thought it would be great to have you here to have you maybe share some of your story as a pastor in that unique odd role in Mm. the western evangelical organizational church um all the beauty and the mess of it and your story as you navigated that and the things that were hard and the things that were good and and really how that's brought you to what you're stepping into now and maybe what you hope uh, what your vision is for that, and what are the things that the Lord's stirring in you that you hope to impart and um, pour into other pastors and leaders? Yeah, it's been a it's been a strange transition of going from being a professional Christian to being just mm-hmm. a normal Christian. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, good. like uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus as uh, just a, a civilian? It's just a little a little different, just in my my journey, because of my whole life I've I've kind of I mean, I started out in youth ministry when I was young. I was still in youth group volunteering and stuff. But then I, I started a program, like a youth group kind of a thing for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders when I was in high school. And then I did 
junior high ministry and then I did high school ministry and then I planted a church when I was like 27, which I, I don't wow. recommend. I mean, if you're already doing it, it's all right. I'll encourage you and help you do the best. But, you know, I started a church when I was 27, right after my mom died and I was in the middle of a faith crisis. And so I, I wow. don't tend to recommend um, that. A lot of people, I think, paid for that. It was a great and a fun experience, you know, doing that. But it, you know, I had a lot to learn. My learning cost people around me, you know, deeply as, yeah. you know, you, you learn. And I, you know, I started the church and then it, it closed after four years. And that was so painful hmm. just in, uh, you know, all the dreams you have for church planting and you get started and, you know, and the people that you do it with. And I think, you know, starting a church in my hometown in the area where I had grown up too, you know, when Jesus said a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, there's just a, it's not that people are rude or bad. I mean, they were very helpful and supportive and they come out like, you know, our first preview service we had, you know, a couple hundred people at. And so I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. But what you don't think about when you know a lot of people and you've lived there is like people are coming to support you, but they don't necessarily want to come to your church. And so when there's only like 50 people the next week, you go, oh, what happened? Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. And it it, it felt personal and all this, but hmm. it, yeah, that, that's one of, I, th- I guess that's one of the biggest challenges about ministry in general, that, that personal part where it kind of feels personal and you're friends with people, but yet you're their pastor and sometimes they're your boss and sometimes you're their boss. And there's just all those things get a little bit mixed up, which is part of what makes the weight of ministry. So uh, I think challenging as a, as a profession, just because the lines aren't always clear who your friends are and who, what people need from you. And it's just not like a contractual thing. Like when I do, I do weddings also, it's been kind of a thing I've always done on the side. And what I love about doing weddings is it's just really clear. People come to me for one reason. They want to get married. (laughs) They, I tell them what my fee is for that. And then we have a relationship and it's great. And I can support them and coach them and encourage them and do counseling for them. But then it's, you know, it's clear it's over and the relationship is clear. It's just not always clear in ministry because it's just like you're signing up for this long-term relationship and yeah, there's just expectations that are spoken and unspoken. And so anyway, I don't know how I got into all that, but basically that's part of my, my story. My wife, Tracy and I have been together. We were high school sweethearts and we, Mm -hmm. we met in youth group and we, fell in love and got married and went away to school together to Zeus Pacific and then came back to work, you know, in the local Orange County area when I thought I would never live there because I couldn't afford it. Yeah. But ended up coming back there and being there for 40, you know, years or whatever, doing doing ministry for 33 years. It was wonderful. And got to be in ministry with my friends, had lots of friends and family in my church. And my grandparents came to Christ in the church that I planted. And mm. my dad was one of my elders at one point. I mean, it's just kind of all of those wow. things that um, are sweet, but also <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Try having your dad as like, you know, an elder, that's not always good. But, <laughs> um, but yeah. And then my kids were involved in my ministry and I had, you know, different the ones of my kids that have been on my staff and my wife. And so yeah, I, I've gotten to experience all of the blessing of 
the people that you love and doing ministry with them and feeling like this is so great. And then some of the challenges of that when it doesn't go so well. You know, I, I know a, f- a few years ago when my son went through a divorce and it was just really hard on our family. Um, and you're kind of just doing it all in public, you know, yeah. because because you're kind of a public figure. Trying to trying to sort that stuff out is a challenge of ministry life. Kind of got lost here. What was I saying? We were talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. So um, you you you're just sharing your story. So I yeah I didn't know that you planted a church when you were 27, and so planted the church that lasted four years. What was after that? Is that when you went to Coastal? Yeah, basically that cured me of wanting to be a, in ministry. I just I basically said I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, school and work on a PhD and go teach because I love teaching and I love the Bible. And that's what got me into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of introverted and definitely church planting. I, you know, if I had it to do over again, I look back and I go, church planting is probably not the best path for somebody that's like a five on the Enneagram. And, you know, <laughs> it's just not. But yeah, I went back to school and thought that I was going to be able to, uh, to do that. But then our superintendent from the denomination called me about two months into that plan. And she said, uh, would you consider coming and preaching at Mountain View for six weeks while they figure out what they're going to do? Because Mountain View had just gone through a, a transition where they had, the church had been growing really fast. And then the previous pastor, um, you know, they, they had been in the middle of a building program that just kind of fell apart. And then it just was one of those ugly church things where people got mad and people yeah. lost money and the pastor kind of just was burnt out by the whole thing. And so he ended up leaving. Yeah. So I came in to kind of a mess and there were about a hundred people that were left and they said that they were kind of staying together for the kids because they had a good youth group that was going on. And yeah. they're like, how do we keep this together? And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll preach for six weeks, but I don't want to be the pastor. And then six weeks turned into six months to do kind of an interim thing. And then, and then that turned into them asking me to stay on and be the pastor. And so I did that, um, for 20 years Yeah, (laughs) and then, um, and it was just beautiful because I realized in that time that the church, what they needed was some stuff that I had to offer. You know, they, the pastor had been a great leader before and had a lot of vision and was kind of a mover and shaker kind of guy, but he wasn't, um, you know, so much a teacher at that time in his life. And, um, and I wanted to teach. And so the people wanted to be taught. Yeah, and yeah. so it worked out and it was like this great relationship, but I was in my early thirties and I was trying to figure that out and, um, yeah, yeah had young kids at home, but yeah, so I, I got to be the pastor there and I got to pretty much grow up with the church for 20 years, which was such a, such a blessing. As yeah. I look back. Yeah. It's interesting because I think the in the kind of American church, organizational church world, there's um, there's just kind of presumed career paths. Right? Mm-hmm. You have the gift of teaching. Well, then you should definitely be a lead pastor. And a lead pastor, there's this presumption that that person has to have the vision, has to be strategic, has to be an amazing teacher, has to be an incredible pastor, has to be an incredible shepherd be able to do soul care, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, care for a staff, manage, administratively manage, you know, all those things. There's no real uh, support or understanding for that. And and I don't know that any one person is 
ever supposed to have all of that. I don't even know if that's biblical. I don't think it's heresy, but you know, so how did you navigate that? And what was the repercussions of that on you as a human, (laughs) as a husband, as a, you know, a son of God, as a father, all those things? Yeah. Although they never quite put all of those things that they expect you to do into a job description. I mean, some of them they do, but it would scare people off because they'd realize like all of what you have to do and all of what the expectations are, but there's nobody that has all the gifts. And I, I was self-aware enough um, to know that I didn't have all the gifts and that I needed help. And so I, I just always try to find people who are better, better than me at everything. And hire those people, you know, like if, if I sound somebody that's better than me administration and just hire them or somebody that's better than me at kids ministry and better than me at, you know, organizing things and worship and better at promotion, you know, it's like any organization, you always got to just try to find people that have the gifts you don't have and build around that. Yeah. And, and one of the good things that is a possibility as a pastor, you know, I started with the church being smaller and then it grew over time, but is, is that you can kind of build your job around your strengths and that the more that I could build my job around the kind of things that I wanted to do and get other people that were good at other things that I didn't want to do to, you know, and empower them to do those things, then it worked well. And I think that's what, I think that's one of the beautiful thing about Mountain View is we've always had really just great people that, and I, and I think if I felt like, that was some threat to me. Uh, maybe that would not work as well, but man, yeah. when you can find people that are better than you, that's the best. Uh, Cause yeah. it feels like freedom, but then managing all of that and continuing to keep it going is, you know, is always a challenge, but, but I loved it and I had great people. So like you said, there, there is just a great community of people there and they're so amazing that, yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine doing, that without them i think the more that i got other people to do those things like i felt like we were doing this as a team and i didn't i think the one thing i didn't recognize is just how much people still look to the pastor as the leader right um until i was in the process of unwinding that and kind of leaving it because i always felt like everybody was we were all in this together (laughs) Yeah, I think that is something that I I, honestly, I think even COVID started to really expose just the level of dependence that a lot of believers had on either their leaders or the organization or the programs versus their dependence being on Jesus. And it kind of goes back to that, you know, we want a king, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, no, I'm your king. Yeah, but we want a king. You know, right. and I think that's a human tendency. Um, we want to follow somebody. We want to, yeah. but but the there's this slippery slope between making disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Todd, right? right. And that's not on you. That I think that's just the nature of the beast a little bit in in how we've built this organizational this organism that we call the church. So, how did your personal faith and journey and identity shift over the years. You know, you you grew up in church, you met your wife in youth group, you were like you were saying professional Christian. 
how did the Lord lead you in a way of unwinding and rebuilding your identity apart from your role or apart from the professional Christian, you know, situation? You said that you had a crisis of faith even in before you planted the church. I'm sure you went on other journeys of things through your time at Mountain View. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in Soul Shepherding, the Bill and Christy wrote this book on Journey of the Soul and used this idea of the Christ stages of like, as we progress in our relationship with, with Christ. And there's this part called the wall that yeah. they talk about where as you get into responsibilities in ministry, um, at some point you hit a wall and it could be burnout. It could be deconstruction. It could be just kind of like uh, a crisis in your life. And I had several of those in the course of my ministry. And, you know, one, when I was, when I was planting that church, my mom had just died and, and she had, she had died after having cancer for a couple of years. And my mom had more faith than anybody that I know and had everybody pray for her. And the elders came and prayed for her and God spoke to her and said she was completely healed and all of this. And then she died. And so I kind of went through this crisis of trying to go, well, do I even believe God answers prayer anymore? Do I believe yeah. we can hear from God? Cause my mom obviously heard wrong. And so I kind of, that, that started that journey and where that took me is right in the middle of planting a church. Everybody's looking to me to ask me questions as the pastor, like, well, what do we believe about this? Well, what do we believe about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what I believe about that. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a youth pastor, like, and I'm just starting a church because, you know, none of the youth after they graduated wanted to go to the church that I was at. Yeah. So I, I kind of went into this thing where I was looking for some certainty mm -hmm. and there, there was a team that was really certain and this kind of reformed uh, wing of, of evangelicalism. And so like they had answers for everything. Like literally there's a confession and a, and a catechism where there's questions and there's answers for all the questions. And I'm like, I need to have answers for all the questions. And somebody already thought through this. That's way smarter than me. And they figured it out. So I'm just going to take their answer book and I'm going to just have answers for all the questions. So I did that and it worked ish for a while, <laughs> you know, yeah. for, for a few years. Um, it, it caused a bit of turmoil in a church because when the pastor kind of shifts his theology in the middle of planting a church, it really confuses people. But yeah, I, I had done that and really tried to be on that certain team and then really came to see some problems with that certainty. You know, in that time, I, I've always been a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church as when, when well, not always, but when I planted the church, the pastor of the church that I was leaving from said, hey, we can help you get started, but we don't have like long-term support and you probably need some support and connection. So I'd encourage you to connect with, you know, maybe you'd like the Evangelical Covenant Church. I know some people there. And I did. I loved these people. They were like yeah. focused on the central things. And But then when I kind of took that more certain and reformed kind of, I don't know, turn in my theology and my thinking, I was looking for where could I find a group of people that may, maybe I need to get in a different denomination that that fits more with the, the reformed kind of way of looking at things and that everybody agrees on everything because the covenant, that's one of the beauties of the denominations. We don't all necessarily agree on everything, but we yeah. love each other enough that we can disagree respectfully and we can continue to have dialogue and 
I just kind of longed for enough certainty and everybody to be certain. So I, I looked for more certain denominations and I found out that they pretty much, they split every time they get over 20 people because, you know, they, uh, right. they can't agree on everything. And so in yeah. order to have certainty and agreement, you kind of have to keep dividing and dividing and dividing. And, yeah. and so anyway, about over time, I gave up on that certainty. Certainly, I learned a lot from that season. And really, in my studies, it was great. But yeah, came to feel more at home in the covenant and in the way that we process things and do things. But then even in that process, then I have had other seasons where I started to doubt even the existence of God, you know, as I, which is hard to do when you're a pastor. Um, <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Especially if you have a high value for authenticity. Like yeah, that, that's good. That's the thing. Like I, I, I value authenticity and I don't, I'm sure you could probably fake it if you didn't, but for me, it, it was hard to fake as I, I just, you know, the more I had studied and learned things. And then the more I started realizing that, wow, I've changed my view on things so many times. And I kind of went from that certain thing to not being so certain. And then I'm like, well, if I've changed my views that many times, how do I know any of the things that I really think are true? And then I started doing some some therapy and some other work. And I started reading science and some other things and thinking about other explanations for why things are. And, and I just started kind of going, well, maybe I'm just living in a bubble and I've always been in this Christian bubble and I need to think more broadly. And so I kind of went through this season of just deconstructing everything in my faith and it was really unsettling. And what made, I mean, the only way I was able to get through that and still be a pastor is I, we focused, I focused a lot on teaching people to love their neighbor and teaching people to care for the poor. And we got really involved in, you know, international missions and relief work and things like that, that I knew were good things, whether or not any of this stuff is true <laughs> in the Bible. Hmm. And in the meanwhile, I'm just trying to sort it out because I, I I wasn't in a place where I'm like, well, this isn't true in the Bible. I don't believe any of it. It was just I knew enough to see the holes and I knew enough to see the holes in my own thinking. And yeah. so I just started critically examining all of that. And And in the meanwhile, I just had to focus people on what the things that were the most, you know, that I was still clear about and that I could still yeah. authentically preach and proclaim. And so, but it was a hard season, you know, for our church and our church wasn't, church wasn't really growing at that point. Um, the youth ministry was growing and doing really well. And, but I was, I was just trying to kind of get in through. And then, and then God did this renovation in my own life Yeah, where, man, I, I don't, I don't even know how it happened. Like uh, I had been meeting with a friend who had, he had kind of walked away from his faith. He had been one of my interns when I was doing youth ministry. And then he had been a youth pastor. And then he just kind of walked away from his faith altogether. And then we got together and he had given me this book, this book called Waking the Dead by John Eldridge. And I mean, the, the book itself is great, but but what it did is it, it, it literally woke me up from yeah. kind of this place of I, I had given up on really believing that God answered prayer. Yeah. I'd given up hoping that God was going to speak to me. And I had, I had kind of made my, you know, where the Bible, you know, I got the Bible, I'm not sure I'd really trust all of it, but oh, well, this is what I got. <laughs> and, 
And I was just trying to hold on. But that book reminded me of the, what I used to believe when I was younger hmm. and of what, of what God had, you know, they, that I could hear God's voice. And I, and I started experiencing yeah. that again and hmm. helping me see that there's a spiritual battle and that, oh yeah, there's every thought that comes into my head may not actually be me and it might not be God, but it might be sabotage, you know? And yeah. so, so I started considering the world from that point of view and it started to change some things in my ministry. And I, and at that point I started doing a lot of the inner journey work that yeah. is kind of necessary for you to get through the wall. Like right. I did inner healing. I did. And that, and that's actually where I started, where I met Bill uh, Gaultier kind of shortly after that, probably a couple of years later, but, and it wasn't called soul shepherding at the time, but they, he was my cat, my counselor. And um, I went to him for therapy and then I was involved in a parish pastor's group with him and started giving me tools in kind of this spiritual journey that I had, you know, left behind a long time ago when I kind of went for that more certain uh, version that focuses all on the head and theology and doesn't yeah. really address the heart. And um, yeah, and God began this renewal work in me that then extended out to my family and extended out to yeah. my staff. And, but it, it took a couple you know, it takes, took a couple of years. It's like it, it started with me and then yeah. within a couple of years, it worked its way out to my family. And then within a couple of years, it worked its way into my staff. And within a couple of years after that, it works its way into the church. But it's, it's like a lot of us don't have the patience for that long-term yeah. work. We want a program that's going to fix stuff right now. Yeah. But it's like that inner journey of dealing with my own stuff, my traumas. Yeah. And my, it's so good baggage, you know, is what, what helped me get through and out of my head and into my heart and into my life. So I think it's important for people to hear. I think anyone who's in ministry, I think it's really important for people to hear because I think oftentimes what happens when somebody faces that, because everybody kind of probably hits that wall at some point, you know, and like you said, many of us will hit it several times, (laughs) but the it can be easy to hit the wall and then that that wall pulls you away. You either deconstruct or you're at you blow implode or whatever. We see that with we've seen pastors and leaders just moral failures. They you know, just so many things happen. Um but if you're able to pick up that shovel <laughs> and kind of dig yourself with Jesus, dig your way around that and realize that God's not so fragile that he can't take you being at a wall, (laughs) you know? And I, I think that, that there does come that point where, where there could be that, that assumption that God's presence, Jesus is too frail and can't handle my doubt, my concern, my frustration, my anger, my, whatever the trauma that I'm, I'm dealing with. And so I think it's actually fascinating and pretty amazing that you, as a pastor, you stuck in there, like you, you, you picked up your shovel and you just, you started digging around and whether or not you were digging for Jesus or whether you were digging for, I mean, I'm either going to find more of him or I'm going to find out that this was all a sham, <laughs> but you were yeah. digging, you know, yeah. and you didn't abandon ship in that. And I love God's kindness that it's like, okay, <laughs> you do you. 
I'm right here. We'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like his kindness to allow you that room and that space. And, you know, all those people on staff and all those people in the room, their faith journey and livelihood isn't dependent on you, nor it shouldn't be. Like you were saying, when you planted that church, your maybe immaturity or lack of preparation, you know, there is collateral damage sometimes, Mm -hmm. but God is a redeemer. Yeah. So he does work those things, the good, the bad, the bad decisions, the good decisions, the, you know, immaturity, the maturity, you know, the, all those things he will weave together for our good and for his glory, Mm -hmm. but it's messy. (laughs) Yeah, and, and it's not linear, and it's uh, it can be painful, it can be excruciating, yeah. but it can be beautiful and mm-hmm. powerful and miraculous. And I think as you're talking, I think that some of the things when I say, you know, in the beginning of the podcast, you know, thank you for your labor because of what Mountain View is, like in some ways, all of that is that labor that mm-hmm. has cultivated this kind of depth and hunger and intimacy of this community that honestly probably wouldn't be there had you not been on in that process and mined and and stayed and were willing to mine that journey there and bring bring the people around you with you Mm -hmm. um that's pretty it's pretty cool and i love i i do love bill and christie's book because they give such simple articulation to something that we've seen and that we've all experienced, but mm-hmm. we haven't had language for. Yeah. And not having language for it has caused a lot of turmoil and division in churches here and there because, you know, I'm in my stage and I think everybody should be in the stage that I'm in. And I have right. no grace or patience for the people. If I'm in the responsibility, if I'm in the R stage, I want everyone to be in the R stage. I want everyone to be, you know, yeah, serving at everything people just serve why yeah why, why can't, can't you... yeah why can't everybody just get over themselves and do this you know yeah. or if i'm at the wall or whatever the case may be and so or on the other side of the wall when you're kind of in that spirit filled oh i can i don't have to prove anything anymore <laughs> yeah. i can actually be in just intimate relationship with jesus and that's enough and everything else mm-hmm. is going to come out of that if i'm there i can judge all the people in the arts right you know yeah so Listeners, this is a book called Journey of the Soul, <laughs> and it outlines the Christ stages. If you're, you know, if we're go to soulshipping.org <laughs> and you can purchase there. Yeah, so you know, I we're throwing out some terms that might be a little what, but um, but yeah, I love that. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think once once I did that inner journey work of that that got me through that that wall yeah it did it it worked itself out into my church and my life but but still ministry you know is a lot of work and tiring and all of that and you know one of the things that i knew when i came to mountain view i had had a history i i knew at least this much about myself that i had a history of like i did things for five years and then i did something else and so I knew if I was going to stay long-term, I needed to change things up every five years and maybe do like a, take a sabbatical. And so I actually had written that into like, okay, I'm going to, I'll take this job, but I need to do a sabbatical every five years. And, and then the first, after the first five years I did, and that was great. But then, you know, then it comes again and I can't really do it this year. The church is not in a place to do it. 
you know, we're in the middle of a building program. When you're at a church plant, like, you know, Mountain View had been moving. We are a kind of a potted plant. You know, we'd move from one pot to another. Yeah. <laughs> moving from one location to another. And, you know, every time you move, there's just a lot that goes into that and raising money and casting vision and getting people coordinated. And, and so it just felt like it was never a good time. It was never a good time for me to be gone. And so... I kept putting off sabbatical, putting off sabbatical. So finally then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like planned a sabbatical and did all this work to do it and plan to go to Italy and follow in the footsteps of St. Francis and do all these kind of things. And, and then uh, a couple of days before my sabbatical, I fell off a cliff and broke both my ankles. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically had to cancel my sabbatical or I, I got a sabbatical, I guess. I was laying on my back recovering for a long time in the hospital and then in bed. But, um, but it definitely, that was like, phew, kind of felt like another wall. I was kind of ticked. Yeah, God. for sure. I was just, yeah, I was so disappointed in that whole thing. But, you know, but got through that and then tried to plan another sabbatical. But then we were in the middle of the building program. And so... Then I had another sabbatical planned and then 2020 hit. And it was like, I can't just leave the church and go on sabbatical in the middle of that. So, so again, all of those things add up to the point where it's like, you know, once we got through 2020, I'm like, I, I think I need to get off the train because I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to take a sabbatical. I just need to like catch up on all the sabbaticals that I missed and, uh, you know, actually leave town. And, uh, yeah. So then we moved to, uh, to Tennessee and, you know, and, that, and that's part of it. And I could tell that the story of how we left about six different ways and they would all be true. But in the course of time, I, I, I needed rest and I didn't, yeah. I don't even think I knew how much rest I needed, but yeah, I'm just now kind of feeling like I'm rested and emerging from this season of, of sabbatical. That's been kind of like a year uh, of sitting in the woods and building a tree house and, chopping wood and just doing things in my body and not in my head and not being responsible for anybody outside of my family. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. So now, you know, um, you're stepping into this role at soul shepherding and, um, kind of in some ways reentering, um, the ministry world and differently. What is it? What's your hope? What's your vision? I mean, you've walked out this journey, you've been in that place. And now as you look at, you know, building relationships with pastors or building relationships with organizations like, you know, um, the ECC, Evangelical Covenant Church or other denominations that, that then have a vested interest in caring for their leaders and their pastors. What what is your hope? What is your vision? And and how does what you experienced inform, you know, this new season and what yeah. God has? Well, it really feels just perfect. I get to now come alongside other pastors and help them stay in it. Mm-hmm. Help them go through the the stages of their own faith development as they're trying to lead a congregation to be able to get through the wall and do some of the inner journey work, um, especially if they're kind of hitting a wall. Uh, A lot of pastors aren't necessarily in that spot yet, but a lot of them are feeling that certainly over the last couple of years and everything that 
that COVID kind of exposed and, and yeah. last few years exposed. But I know that definitely the statistics are that, that pastors are hurting. And I, I even felt a lot of shame. It, it was a big struggle of me leaving because I, I didn't want to leave in the midst of all of that because it's like, um, there's this part of me that wants to be heroic and go, man, I'm just going to stay in there forever and be there for people. But I, I needed to actually leave to be for my family. What, um, what they needed and to take care of myself. Um, but I, but I, I, now I feel like I can be a help to pastors that, that need to take sabbatical. I'm doing sabbatical coaching and we have a whole sabbatical guide and that Bill and Christie have done. That's actually really great to just on the practical nature of how to do sabbatical and, um, and some of the you know, biblical understanding of it and ways to explain it to your board and your congregation. And, but we, we help people through that now. And I get to, I get to do that with pastors and yeah, so good I get to meet them in the, the place in their, their life where I can kind of help coach them through that. And, and then with others, I just get to be a, like a spiritual director for people, which when you're a pastor, having somebody you can talk to that, is not over you or under you or in any way related to your ministry and is not even the competition of like another pastor in another church in your community. Like it's weird. And uh, there's lots of pastor groups that I went to and always got invited to and it's always collegial and it feels great. And it doesn't feel like everybody's real competitive on the surface of things overtly, but, but there's always that, undercurrent of like you know everybody's comparing themselves to each other and yeah. you always feel either worse or better when you do that yeah, and right. <laughs> yeah you know totally. so but taking that out of the equation just getting to be somebody that's been there and understands but yet doesn't come with an agenda man that is so valuable it w- would be so valuable to me and i I had some people like that in my life that I could talk to. But one of the things that made me always resist coaching or other people that wanted to come along to mentor me is always feeling like they have a, I don't know, it's like they got to sell me on their program or their agenda or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think having the freedom to just be able to listen to them and to be a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My only agenda is their health and continual ministry. So I'm excited about that. And I love that. And I love, you know, I, as I've been a part of, um, you know, the evangelical covenant church, I I just, I know from the inside that denominations will want to care for their pastors and they just don't have enough staff and ability to do it. And so one of the great things that, you know, soul shepherding is doing is this healthy pastor, um, kind of initiative where we'll come in and either with a, a church that has multiple staff or with a, um, a denomination, you know, put together uh, a whole program to, to help your pastor stay healthy long-term to go through uh, yeah, the institute good. in spiritual formation and in healthy relationships and in soul care and, and provide some training and also some spiritual direction and coaching for pastors Um and build in sabbaticals into that and the sabbatical program. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm just excited about being able to to do this in this this next season. And it kind of feels like the same role I'm in with my kids. Like, um, 
being a grandfather is so much better than being a dad <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> because it's like you get to do all the fun stuff and you get to encourage and you have perspective so that you're not so stressed out about everything. Yeah. And, um, and then, but you get the, the parents still have all the responsibility for the kids. And yeah, so I kind of get to good. be like the, the grandfather for pastors, for churches. I, I get to do all the, the great stuff and just encourage them and come alongside and bring a little wisdom, but not, uh, not have the day-to-day responsibility. Not have to carry, exactly. Carry it. <laughs> you still get a good, na- a full night's sleep, you know? Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> so good. I love that. And I, yeah, I think that, you know, probably one of the biggest challenges for people in ministry who are leaders is finding a safe place, a safe place to process, a safe place to just be exactly where they're at. And not have to, you know, prove anything, not have to explain anything, just like to be there and to have, but those are hard to find. And then the other thing you hit on too, which I think is so significant is it's easy in the place when, when your vocation and your relationship with, with Jesus are intersected, it's easy to, to, to fall into almost a Messiah complex where if I let go, it's all going to crumble. If mm-hmm. I walk away, it's all gonna, you know, whatever. And um, it's very hard to trust and believe that God's going to take care of his church and he does care about me. That God's mm-hmm. the God of leaving the 99 for the one. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he abandons the 99, mm-hmm. but that the one matters. And the one, whether it's, you know, the person who comes in and sits in the back row of church every Sunday and doesn't say hi and has, you know, something other than water in their water bottle and <laughs> sneaks in or out, whether it's that one or it's the one in the pulpit who is day in, day out trying to steward the things that are in front of them, whether they have the maturity or the experience or the whatever or not, you know, mm-hmm. God's about the one. Yeah. He's about his sons and daughters. And, um, you know, I do think that we're in an interesting season in church in history. Uh, Jesus is ferociously jealous for his bride and Mm. he is readying her. (laughs) And part of that readying is, is a process of healing. It's a process Mm. of repenting. It's a process of writing some things that, because we, you know, as humans, we just, we continue to, to build our, our kingdoms and our organizations and our programs and our things. And, um, even through COVID, just this invitation back to look at me, <laughs> you know, look mm. at me, yeah, just look at me and um, come close <laughs> mm. and let me um, show you what it is I want to do. So anyhow, I'm, I'm excited for this season for you and um, excited for just the, the leaders and the pastors that you're going to get to pour into and the refreshment and the permission and the grace and the restoration that they're going to receive through being able to step into that. So thank you. Thank you for um, your willingness to share your story and for your willingness to step in and to continue to, to serve, to be the grandpa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, you know, I think the church needs mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandpas, spiritual mothers and fathers and grandma and grandpas um, for this next season. So thanks, yeah. Todd. Yeah, well, thank you. Because you've come in and been that with my church 
that still feels like mine and mm-hmm. my heart's still with it. Still my family. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, um, yeah, it just, it feels so good to be able to leave things in the hands of good people and you're one of them. So thank you. Oh, thanks Todd. Appreciate it. It's an honor. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Space Podcast. And if you are a pastor or a leader, or you know someone who is, who would like coaching, sabbatical coaching, would like a spiritual director, uh, check out the links in the episode notes to get connected with Todd and Soul Shepherding. If you want to get a copy of Journey of the Soul, we talked a lot about the Christ stages from that book by Bill and Christy Galtier. There's a link so you can purchase the book. But I really encourage you to... Uh, pray for your pastors and leaders and um, lean into trusting the Lord, not looking at men as kings (laughs) to satisfy and fulfill all your spiritual needs. That's not their role. Their role is to help and to guide and to come alongside and share this podcast with pastors, leaders that you know who could be encouraged by Todd's story. I hope that you have a great week and that you know that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. See you next time.